You are listening to the Rooted Ministry Podcast, a conversation advancing gospel-centered ministry to youth. For more information about Rooted, visit our website at www.rootedministry.com. This is Anna Harris, and I'm the Rooted Parent Editor, and today I am with author Kristen Hatton, who's on our steering committee and the author of several books um, that um, if you check out her bio on our website, you'll get to see a listing of those. Um, She is here with her daughter, Rebecca, who is a junior at the University of Arkansas, and they are going to talk today about... Well, an experience they had at the airport yesterday. We'll start with that. Tell yeah. me what happened at the airport. Well, ironically, we um, our workshop was talking about living redemptively with your teen, and we had a funny um, episode happen yesterday that um, I went, I battled the hours worth of traffic in Nashville to go pick up Rebecca at the airport, and I knew that her flight had landed, and so I was thinking she was going to be curbside waiting on me. Um, so I you know, pull up and I call her and I'm like, okay, I'm here. Where are you? And I learned that she had gotten off the airplane without her suitcase. <laughs> In my defense, I had to pee so bad. That was the only thing on my mind was getting to a bathroom. And so I was the last person off the flight and everyone got their suitcases before me and all this stuff. And I, none of that registered, just that I needed to find a bathroom. And so, yeah, I left the flight, went to the bathroom, and then I realized I did not have my suitcase. By the time that that was all figured out, it was kind of lost. Well, and of course, you know, you can't go back to the gate. You know, they don't let you back. So even though she went back, I mean, she went back there, but they weren't going to allow her to go back down the ramp because it was like a... um, a gate check bag, you know. Mm. So anyway, then it was like this whole fiasco. She had to go to the baggage claim and she had to find the United person that would like help try to retrieve it. And it was like a 45 minute ordeal. So I was like, how typical, like my first response was like, what? Like, how, what do you mean? You know, I mean, it's just like shame and condemnation. Yeah. Like, how can you be that dumb to knock it off with your, with your suitcase? You know, it happens. And so, but then I called my husband because I had to circle around like, you know, 50 times. And so I called my husband and we actually both started cracking up because we're like, this is so typical. (laughs) (laughs) And so then we were laughing and I was like, you know what? It just hit me. I'm like, here, we're, she's coming here and we're talking about living redemptively with your team. And I'm doing exactly what I don't want to be doing. Like, I don't want to shame my first stance to be shame and condemnation. I wish that I would have just laughed with her and been like, Oh my gosh. And it would have just changed like probably both of us feeling just extra stress that like, oh my gosh, now she has to get her bag and Rebecca feeling like, oh, now my mom's frustrated because, you know, so I just thought, huh, how funny we have a new opening for our workshop talk. Yes. God gave you a gift <laughs> to share with the folks. Well, so, um, so then how did you approach that with Rebecca? By the time she got in the car, you had time to remember your notes for your workshop. <laughs> yes. By the time she got to the car, like as she was headed towards me, and I have to tell you, I was driving this humongous white truck with the longest cab possible. I and saw it's that truck. <laughs> it was huge. And, <laughs> and like the 
mirror stick up. So every time I like circled through <laughs> the passenger pickup, I thought my mirror was going to swipe the, you know, the <laughs> man, the man that was directing traffic. <laughs> so um, anyway, by the time you know she comes out and I'm pulled up, like we really just both had the biggest smiles and we could not stop Cracking laughing. Up. Like I think we laughed the whole way back into where we were staying until you got us lost. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I had to pay attention to Siri, but anyway, so typical. <laughs> So, um, with teenagers, I mean, I feel like it was just kind of a a picture of what life is like. Like, we have these things that happen all the time in our days, and how we respond to them um, can just make things escalate and go really bad really quickly, or we can um, have a community of redemption and grace and um, open communication. And so I really, you know, want to foster in our homes that um, living redemptively is um, like reflecting who Jesus is to each other um, as givers of life and grace. And so instead of choosing to hold sin against one another, um, that we... um, talk about it openly and we move each other both to Christ, um, not to heap shame on one another, not to require perfection. I want our homes, um, that we can move towards each other and love, um, even when we're not lovable and allow each other to, or everybody in the family just to be, do messy, broken lives together because that's the reality of who we are. I mean, the thing is we're all sinners and so we are going to sin against each other. And so I think it's more what we do with that sin. Right, right. It seems to me in in my home that confession is a big part of this, not just confessing to God what my sin has been in a certain situation, but confessing to my kids where I've sinned or apologizing. And that to me is something that has to happen really frequently um, in my home and to, to really own my part. Even if um, I don't feel like I was the only cause of the problem, <laughs> right. taking ownership of my part uh, is so so helpful. And I know that that's that's something that you guys practice in your home as well. Yes, and that is so good what you said because I really feel like as parents we have to go first mm-hmm. because I feel like if we're not doing that, um, then why would our teens? I mean, if they think that we are perfect or that we're, I mean, they can see through us so they know when we've sinned, but sometimes yes. because of pride or fear, we don't want to be vulnerable with them and, com- and confess and be honest about our sin. And so, but then we get upset with them that they're hiding things or not being honest or talking to us. And so I just think that that is just um, essential that parents go first, that we pave the way on how we want our households to be. And so if we're not being honest and dealing honestly with our sin and going to one another, asking for forgiveness and grace, then our kids are not going to do that themselves. And also, by the way, we do that, we reflect who God is to us. I mean, something we did when our kids were little, and of course it looks different now that they're teenagers, but it was this whole idea of a, of a clean slate. I still remember, Rebecca, how excited you would get when you um, when we went through the whole discipline process, and then we would end with like, what does that mean now for you? And Rebecca would just like, with glee, would be like, clean slate. <laughs> yeah, it was... We would, as annoying as it was always at the time growing up, having to 
always do heart evaluations and figure out my motives behind why I was doing what I was doing. I really do appreciate it now um, because we would take the time to find the root behind the sin um, and honestly confess that, but then have that assurance of the gospel that because of the cross um, and Jesus dying for us, we are forgiven. It We're wiped clean like a clean slate. Um, and it makes, yeah, being a regular repenter easier when you know that you are covered and wiped clean. Mm. Oh, that's so, that's so good. So tell me, Rebecca, I know you have two younger brothers. Yes. How, how have you seen these things sort of work out in your relationships with your brothers? So you, you're doing this clean slate, for example, first with your parents, really. Mm-hmm. But have you found that as your brothers become, y'all are all old enough now to sort of <laughs> practice this redemptive living together as siblings as well? Um, have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we used to not really get along at all and it was always you know like David made me mad like that's why I hit him or you know whatever it was always blame shifting but then realizing my dad would always say it was like David whatever he did it was like hitting my cup and whatever flowed out my reaction that flowed out was what my like me being the cup was filled with um that he just revealed what was already there. And so recognizing that more of like seeing my own sin and all of the, our situations, um, instead of just, you know, pawning it off on one of my brothers, it, yeah, it started to change things for us. And now, I mean, they're my very best friends and they tell me everything and I tell them everything. And it's really sweet to see how we have all grown so close over the past couple years, especially. Yeah. I mean, just recently, um, one of them, one of the boys was struggling and, um, he and Rebecca spent like an hour on the phone together two hours. or two hours, excuse me. But I just love that how that relationship has been cultivated and it just, I mean, it, it takes intentionality. Like that's not going to just happen, but just creating that, um, place where everybody feels safe. And I think some of that too is like in our house, it's, we've never wanted any topic to be taboo. And so we always wanted to be doing life authentically and talking about what was going on and not avoiding certain topics that were awkward or, um, that, you know, were, or even just talking about our sin. And so, um, I think that that just kind of helped foster. And as the boys have gotten older and now they can relate to each other more as adults in a sense, even though they're not all adults, right. but you know, they're starting to relate more like that with each other. But it's, so I think that what we do when our kids are younger, I mean, it's just a building we just build upon and, um, it can seem tedious and hard and easy to lose sight of, but um, it really has such eternal implications as they grow. Well, it sounds like um, with living with this intentional model, uh, redemptive living in your home, it, it, it doesn't just manifest itself in the relationships between the parents and the kids, but it starts to work its way into the sibling relationships. And I would guess, Rebecca... You're seeing that in your friendships now Mm -hmm. that you are away at college and um, 
finding ways to sort of live this way in your dorm or your the um, apartment or sorority house where you are. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, living with people is like it's difficult, and I. Um, Because you're used to just how things are in your family and you're not used to how someone else's house is. And, um, you know, with your family, I feel like I snap easier or, you know, I'm more just myself, I guess. But living with people has really challenged that and caused me to really have to have hard conversations and confrontation, but also acknowledge when I have wronged them and humbly confess and apologize. But yeah, I'm grateful that it's been modeled that way in my house growing up. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you're carrying the gospel forth because you lived it in your own home. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Even when there are missing suitcases. That's right. (laughs) And even when there's lots of failure. I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like we certainly did not do everything right. And I think that's a lot of where Rebecca and I have ended up now is that it's come to where she's been able to be honest, to to show me where I have hurt her or how she's felt because of certain things. And so I think as a parent, it's important to be able to listen and, um, not self justify and, um, and to seek forgiveness. So it's working both ways, you know, it's like so often we're the ones doing the discipline or whatever the parenting, but as they get older, um, to really be able to, to listen to them, um, and see where we have failed and to ultimately rest in that we are not he, like we are going to fail as parents. And thankfully God uses all these things in this redemptive living, um, to move us to see that he is the perfect parent that he, I may not always love her perfectly or do right, but, but he does. Um, and ultimately that's what I want to point all of our kids to is to seeing more of who he is. Um, and so it was really important in our family that we've always talked about idolatry and identity. Um, and for them, for me to be able to identify what my idols are, because if I don't know what my idols are, then, um, one, they don't see my sin, but also I can't enter in with them. Like I have so much more compassion when I understand Mm -hmm. like if, um, for instance, one of my sons did something and, um, it would be easy to just want to correct the behavior. But when I realized that the reason he did it was because he, um, feared what other people would think of him. Right. Well, I get that. I fear what other people think about me. I care about other people's opinions. And so it gave me that entry point of entering in. And so I could have compassion. And so my approach, instead of shame and condemnation, was different. It was entering in alongside him. It didn't mean that there wasn't um, consequences for his actions, but just the way I approached it was different so that we had a gospel conversation and we were able to kind of go deeper than just the outward behavior and get to the root of why we do what we do. I think that's that's uh, such an important thing. You know, parenting, it can be humiliating when you see your own sin, but allow that to humble us so that we can live as we're really brothers and sisters in Christ alongside our children. And while we're here on earth, we're the parent and an authority, especially in the younger years. But 
I used to love to tell my kids, even when they were little, when we get to heaven, I'm just going to be your sister. <laughs> and that just absolutely delighted them because they loved the idea that I would not be the boss anymore. But, but the more I said that to them, the more it sank in with me that I really was, just like you say, walking alongside them. And a lot of that does involve acknowledging my idols and being vulnerable about um you know, where I've messed up or where I'm unsure and, and asking for forgiveness. And, um, I, I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful picture of, um, demonstrating Christ in our homes. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that, um, we really wanted, well, I talked about no topics being taboo, but just this idea of a safe place. And I found that so many teenagers don't talk openly with their parents because um, they um, are afraid their parents won't understand or their parents are going to be mad at them or just shocked um, or worried about them. And that's something that, you know, it just adds extra shame when they feel like their parents are worrying about them. Um, So that's something that um, Rebecca and I have dealt with in um, wanting to be able to talk openly about all things and um, realizing that those are things that, you know, I I want her to be able to come to me, which means I need to be unshockable and I need to listen and I need to be able to identify and enter in. And um, even when she's told me things about her friends, if I am all of a sudden like condemning her friend or their friend's parents or whatever, then she's learning real quickly that, Ooh, that's not a safe topic. I'm not going to go there or, um, you know, oh, gosh, I'm doing the same thing. There's no way I'm going to tell my mom now because I know how she's going to react. Right. It's a test. <laughs> you got to elaborate on that. Talking about friends and what they have been up to, it has really always just been a test to gauge how you would respond to things that I would tell you. So, One of my sons told me that they didn't tell me about some of their friends were up to because they were afraid I would want them to reject those friends, you know, and want them to quit hanging out with those friends. And these were people that they really loved and cared about. And they would prefer to stick with, and I want to teach my sons to stick with their friends, you know, and not abandon them because even though they're dabbling with things that they shouldn't, you know, how do you engage redemptively with your friends who are straying? Right, right. And and for us as parents not to be afraid of what our children's friends are doing, too, and know that, you know, Jesus has his hands on our kids. And, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think that's, um, really important not to, not to be shockable, as you say, and not to judge the friends. Right. And so often I think parents think, um, that, they, well, they want their kids kind of in more of the holy huddle, that those are the safe kids, so to speak. Um, but, even more damage can be done there Very much. than with the more outright yeah. rebellious kid. And Absolutely. so I think we as parents need to um, rethink um, how we're thinking about that because um, when we're living, you know, as if we're holier than thou, we're living as if we don't need a savior. And mm-hmm. so more than anything, I want my kids to know a life dependent on him. And so, um, Sometimes in these very self-righteous, you know, doing everything right, they're really living works-based without recognizing it. 
Yes. And so it's just a, a self-righteous way of living. And so that's in our house, we talk a lot about elder brother, younger brother, and just how mm-hmm. both are sinning just in different ways. And um, so that's kind of a category ca- categories that we've used um, all throughout y'all's growing up of being able to understand our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's such a it's such a picture because we really are um, most of us living out of either the elder brother mentality or the younger brother mentality pretty much all day every day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> swinging from one to the other. Yeah, right. We all have it in us. Um, well, um, I just want to thank y'all so much for your time. Is there anything else that you'd want to say to to wrap it up uh, for our for our listeners? Um, uh, I mean, I would just say kind of just leaving it for the parents, like you go first, mm-hmm. um, be honest, listen and be unshockable. Oh, you know what? We didn't even hit on this, but I'll just say, um, to not always be trying to fix. That's something that I mm-hmm. learned about myself. I always seem to have that agenda of like just trying to fix my kids. You have to let your kids fail. Yeah. And learn for themselves. Oh, that's, that's huge and it's also extremely difficult for a parent <laughs> yes. to do and and uh and that's why yes as i said earlier i think fear is such a pitfall for parents yes. and um realizing that god loves our children way more than we do seems impossible but it's absolutely true it's 100 yes. percent true and furthermore he actually does know what's best for them more than we do which might require some really hard struggles and suffering, and that is so hard to sit by as a parent and not be able to do anything about it. Yes, yes. But I look at the two of you together and the way you laugh about the the suitcase (laughs) and the way you just enjoy each other's company so much, and it just, um, I I would encourage parents listening that there is so much hope and um, they are really sisters in Christ and they enjoy each other as as Jesus um, as Jesus gave them to each other and um, th- thank y'all so much for being on the podcast today well, thank you Anna this was fun <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Rooted Podcast, where we hope to communicate the truths of the gospel and apply those truths to youth ministry. We would love for you to check out our website where we publish articles daily geared towards both youth ministers and parents. You will also find resources and more information about our conferences, regional events, and more at www.rootedministry.com.